On last week, we studied the first 30 verses of chapter 2. Mm. By way of review, we learned that Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by a dream that he dreamed. And as a result, he began to suffer insomnia to deal with this dream that he couldn't understand, he called upon the wise men of Babylon. And he required of these wise men to both tell him the content of the dream as well as the interpretation of the dream. The wise men informed the king that, that they couldn't give in to his requests because he needed to provide him with the content of the dream and he would give the interpretation. He would have to reveal to them the content of the dream. And the king refused to back down on his demand. And so the wise man told the king that only the gods could answer his request. And that was a problem because they don't dwell among flesh. And as a result of the wise men's inability, they were all sentenced to death by King Nebuchadnezzar. Included in this death sentence were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When Daniel hears about his death sentence, he asks to have an audience before the king. Then Daniel goes back to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he says, you need to pray to God to have mercy on us so that he would reveal this mystery so that our lives would not be destroyed. As a result of their prayers, God reveals the mystery to Daniel, and Daniel gives praise to the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. And what we learned on last week, beloved, is that our God reveals mysteries. Only our God can provide the answers to life's deepest questions. Only our God can reveal what is hidden. Why does God as revealer matter? Well, God reveals himself, his character, his nature, his ways, his will, so that men will know that he is the one true God, and he alone is worthy of glory, honor, and adoration. Worship is the response to revelation. And let me remind you that worship is not just singing and raising of hands, but worship is the total surrender to God of every aspect of daily life. And when God reveals this mystery to Daniel, who in return reveals it to Nebuchadnezzar, God is also showing that he is sovereign. He is the supreme ruler. 
He does what he wants, how he wants, when he wants, where he wants, and to whom he wants. Our God does as he pleases, and he answers to no one. The God who reveals is the God who rules. So today, beloved, we want to actually look at the content and the interpretation of this dream that troubled the king. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse number 31. Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse number 31. As is our custom, let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. If you don't have it, we'll have it on the screen for you to follow along. Daniel chapter 2. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you look, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces. It became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and to whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, and so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and his interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. And commanded that an offering, an instance, be offered up to him. The king 
answered and said to Daniel, Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole prince of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We see this dream its interpretation. Two primary characters in this dream and its in the content of the dream and in its interpretation. And that's going to be our organizing principle this morning. We want to look at these two main characters, the statute and the stone. Look with me first of all at the statute. What is it that we learn about this statue, first of all? First, we learn something about the kings of this world. Look, verses 37 and 38. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man. I emphasize the word given intentionally because this is not the first time we've seen this word used multiple times. We actually saw that in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we learned that it was God who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. We also learned that it was God who gave Daniel favor in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. We learned that it was God who gave the four Hebrew boys learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And here in our text, we see it is God who gives the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar. What this word teaches us, brothers and sisters, is that the, the God of heaven is large and in charge. He is sovereign. He sets up kings and kingdoms, and he tears down kings and kingdoms. And all kingdoms are established by God's sovereign will. And what Nebuchadnezzar should have learned is that he's not king simply because he was the heir to the throne, nor was it because of his mili the military might of armed forces or his own wisdom. He's there only because of the God who rules from heaven. What we learn, if we go back to Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 6, we even learn that the Lord calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Nebuchadnezzar is not king of kings. He's really just a servant of the Lord. He serves in order to bring about the purposes and plans of God. And I hear my amens dwindling away now. Because for some, this may be troubling that God would use a pagan for his own purposes. But beloved, this should not be troubling to us. It actually should provide comfort to us. Because the truth 
is that the truth, this truth teaches us that God uses evil for the good of his own people. Nebuchadnezzar's purpose was to bring God's people into exile because of their own disobedience and unfaithfulness to the covenant. And so what God does is he uses Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to purify his people. And so we learn first of all, beloved, from this statue that it is God who sovereignly establishes and brings down kingdoms. What is it that we learn, though, about the, these earthly kingdoms from this statue? Look with me. Let's look. Let's see what we learn about the kingdoms of this world. First thing we learn about these, the kingdoms of this world, is that they are inferior in quality. Notice when when Daniel shares the content of the dream, he says, "You Nebuchadnezzar in your kingdom." are the head of gold. And then what we see in this statue is that every succeeding kingdom is downgraded. The second kingdom is represented by silver, the third by bronze, and the fourth by iron. Now, there are a lot of opinions concerning the identity of these four kingdoms, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron. Now, I... Most likely, I'm convinced that these four kingdoms refer to Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to get bogged down about the identity of these kingdoms as that is not the purpose of this passage. The purpose is to show that nations rise and fall at the hand of our sovereign God. However, what we can deduce from the degrading quality of each metal in this statue is that each kingdom is inferior in quality. Now, they are not inferior in power or size because Medo-Persia, the silver kingdom, is actually, actually conquers more territory than Babylon. What makes them inferior in quality is more of a moral sense. Because of the increasing corruption of the world, each succeeding kingdom is inferior. So each kingdom is inferior in quality. But not only do we see that they are inferior in quality, but we also see that they are vulnerable. Look, look, this statue, it, it clearly shows us that these kingdoms are strong but they're not so strong that they are unbreakable or indestructible. We see this clearly in verse number 33, as the feet of the statue are partly iron and partly clay. Beloved, look, the, the statue literally has feet of clay. And because of this, we learn that they are weak and vulnerable. They are vulnerable to being conquered by other kingdoms. They are vulnerable to destruction and being overpowered. What else do we learn about the kingdoms of this world from this statue? We also learn that they are temporal. The fact that this statue is not a, a one type of metal, but differing metal shows us that earthly kingdoms are temporary. Matter of fact, here, here every kingdom is like milk. 
It comes with an expiration date. None of these earthly kingdoms last forever. What we need to take from these characteristics is that the kingdoms of this world are passing away. Verse 35 even tells us that they all become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. The kingdoms of this world will be gone with the wind. That's what we learn about the statue. But then out of nowhere, there's this stone. Verse 34, and as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. The first fact that we learn about this stone is that it is not of this world. It, 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 since it's not cut out by human hand, it must be of divine origin. So if this stone is divine, who or what is this stone? That's why I love preaching at the bridge. Y'all ask good questions. I think if you read through the Old Testament, we learn about stones in different places. In Genesis chapter 49, we learn that there is a shepherd who is a stone, who is the stone of Israel. In Psalm 118, verse number 22, we learn that there is a stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. Israel is like a stone that the builders have rejected. The nations reject Israel, but the Lord will save his people. And the rejected stone will become the cornerstone. If we go to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, it says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. We can actually even go into the New Testament. In Luke chapter number 20, beginning with verse 9, Jesus tells a parable about a man who planted a vineyard. Then he leased that vineyard out to tenants and left it. And then he left and went into a country for a long time. And when it was harvest time, this owner of the vineyard sent one of his servants to get some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And beloved, that happened not once, not twice, but three different times. So finally, Jesus in this parable says that finally the owner of the vineyard decided that he would send his son. His, because he expected that his tenants would respect his son. However, because he was the heir, the tenants killed the son. And Jesus asked at the end of this parable, what will the owner do to the tenants? And Jesus said he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And those who heard this parable, they couldn't believe it. They said, surely not. Jesus said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he actually quotes Daniel 2. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. 
And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. In this parable, Jesus identifies himself as the son who is killed. And now the father will destroy all those who reject his son. Jesus is clearly, based on scriptural evidence, Jesus is the stone. Jesus is the stone that crushes and destroys rival kingdoms. That's the identity of the stone. What then is the nature or characteristics of this stone? First of all, what we learn about this stone in this kingdom is that it is indestructible. Verse 44 says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. This kingdom is indestructible. No one, no kingdom will be able to destroy it. Some will try, but none will succeed. It is an unbreakable kingdom. Not only is it indestructible, but we also learn that it is a secure kingdom. He says that the kingdom of, nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. See, earthly kingdoms are built, but they give way to another people group over time. This kingdom will not be like that. It will not be conquered by another people. It's indestructible, it's secure, but it's also triumphant. Look, look, the text says, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. The kingdom of Christ will smash all rival kingdoms. None will be able to withstand it. Finally, we learn about this kingdom is that it is eternal. It shall stand forever. Whereas earthly kingdoms pass away, the kingdom of God in Christ is permanent. It's forever. That's the statue. That's the stone. What difference does it make? Let me give you finally the solution. How then should we respond to what we know about this statue in the stone. In revealing this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, God is showing Nebuchadnezzar that to God alone belongs power and wisdom. Only God was able to reveal the content and the interpretation of this mystery. And what we learn in verses 46 through 49, is that Nebuchadnezzar clearly acknowledges that God is the God of God and Lord of kings. He acknowledges that the God of heaven exists and that he is mighty and powerful. But what Nebuchadnezzar fails to do is to repent and commit fully and exclusively to the God of heaven. So then what was this dream meant to do? It was meant to show Nebuchadnezzar that God is sovereign. He is the supreme ruler. And as a result, he was to turn from all of his idolatry, turn away from his multiple gods, 
and turn to the one true God who is revealer and sovereign. He was to commit to God and to the kingdom of God. So I think that's a word for someone who may be here or who may be joining us via live stream. If you, have, if you are not yet trusting in Jesus Christ, the word for you is to repent from your evil ways. Repent from whatever it is. Turn away from whatever it is you are trusting to make you right with God. And turn to the God of heaven by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But I think there's also a word for believers here. We also need to commit to God and his kingdom. Maybe I need to say it like this. We need to fully commit to God and his kingdom. Here's the question for us. Whose kingdom are you building? Is it your kingdom that you are most consumed with? Let me see if I can make some enemies this morning. Are you building the kingdom of Democrats? Are you building the kingdom of Republicans? Are you building the kingdom of Trump? Why must I say this? Because there are Christians that I follow on social media that post more about politics than they do about Jesus. Whose kingdom are you building? Well, know them by your fruit. Whose kingdom are you mostly concerned with? Are you the kingdom of Coke? The kingdom of Spirit, Textron? The kingdom of Wichita Public Schools? Who, whose kingdom are you fully committed to? We must commit to advancing the rule of God over the entire earth. Here's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I miss all those amens from earlier. I think what we need to see from this statue in the stone is that the things of this world are passing away. Only the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is permanent. And so that's why we all not lose our mind when the stock, stock, stock market tumbles. That's why we all not get, get ready to give up and give out. When we face unemployment, the things of this world, they're passing away. Commit fully to the kingdom of God because only Jesus is king forever. Commit fully to the kingdom of God. And beloved, the kingdom is here. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he inaugurated the kingdom of God in heaven. And now that mountain is being built, it's growing, it's advancing. And so are you living and advancing the kingdom of God here on earth? Commit fully to the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, I think what we need to take from this is that we need to put all of our hope in God alone. You got to think about this. This letter was written... This, I'm, excuse me, this book was written to the people of God in exile. 
They are under the authority of a rival kingdom. They are not in their homeland. And they are likely discouraged, in despair, depressed, and disappointed because they are in exile. They are part of a kingdom that is not their own. But Daniel, the book of Daniel should have brought them much comfort to know that their present circumstances were not the end of the story. God is sovereign and he will set up his kingdom that will stand forever. So rather, beloved, than being in despair about the current state of, of, of our culture, we have the blessed hope of Jesus Christ returning triumphantly and ridding the world of all evils and making all things new. And so we look forward to the day when, when we, we, the kingdom is here, but it is not yet as well. That's what we call already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is, has not been consummated. It is, it, it is not fully seen or experienced yet. There's still more to come. More enemies to defeat. More kingdoms to crush. More people to be saved. So then we need to put all of our hope in our sovereign king. I think there's something else that we should do as a result of learning about this stone and this statue. We need to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We need to pray for the coming of this kingdom that will last forever. But did you know there's one other way we can hasten the coming of the kingdom of heaven? Not just through prayer, but through the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. Watch this. This is what Jesus said. He said the end will come only after the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So, why is God waiting? Why has Jesus not returned? So that the gospel of the kingdom can be proclaimed throughout all the world to all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, so that they can hear the good news of the saving reign of Jesus Christ. That King Jesus has come, but he didn't come like other kings. He came to suffer and to die. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, that's how he has become king. And so... I think we need to embrace the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. We follow the ministry of Jesus Christ who came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. Worship team, you could come back now.
That is the message we proclaim. And so for someone here today, someone viewing via live stream, the call to you from learning about this statue in the stone, one is that of repentance. Because I think if we were really honest with one another, we will say, we have not sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we must confess that and we must repent of that. Saying, I'm going to make the kingdom of God the priority in my life. But secondly, we need to remember that we need to hope in God alone. Beloved, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, the holy lean on Jesus' name. What has you down in the dumps today? What has you discouraged and ready to give up? Maybe that reveals where your hope has been. I hear Christians all the time say, if so-and-so is elected, I'm moving to Canada. Well, good luck, because they ain't taking no Americans right now. Child of God, where is your hope? Jesus. is victorious that's what the prophecy teaches us that victory belongs to Jesus he will smash all kingdoms and bring them to an end victory belongs to Jesus let's stand and let's sing together